Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. We're in the Gospel of John. You recall John chapters 13 through 16 is where we've been since the beginning of September, and uh, just a few more weeks going through these chapters that uh, are famously referred to as the farewell discourse. That is because Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples. He is at the tail end of his ministry. He is at the tail end of his life, Um, but he is not at the end of his purposes for them. They are to continue on um, as a community of love. That's what he's really focused on in last week's passage, John 15. He has a continued purpose for them even after he leaves. Um, That purpose is to bear fruit. You remember he said, I am the true vine, you you are the branches. And the main fruit that we are to bear as his disciples even after he leaves is the fruit of love. Um, He loves us, he's taught that, and we are to love one another. But despite all the love, there is still a lot of difficulty. And that's where he turns his attention to this morning. John chapter 15, verse 18, all the way through chapter 16, verse 4. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without excuse." But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness about me, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When was a time that you were surprised by how difficult something was? When was a time you were surprised by how difficult something was. Maybe there was an exercise routine that caught you off guard with its level of difficulty. Maybe it was a hunting trip 
that caused you to have to cross rougher terrain than expected. Maybe it was becoming a new parent. You're excited, these new experiences, beautiful baby, but then reality sets in how much work and effort it takes. When was a time you were surprised by how difficult something was? Well, as we look closer at this text today, Jesus wants the disciples to know just what they are in for. Over the course of these chapters, Jesus has explained and demonstrated how much he loves them. And as I said in the previous section, chapter 15, he explained that they are to continue to love one another going forward. But despite all of the love, love, love talk, their continued journey after Jesus leaves is not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. Butterflies and unicorns, peaches and cream, no. He wants to set their expectations straight. He doesn't want them to be naive about the opposition they're going to face. And the idea is that if we know our opposition, it'll help, help us to continue to follow him. If we know what we're up against, then it will help us to prepare for what we're up against. Like imagine... Imagine that you are set for a day at the spa. Now, you may not be a spa person. Some people aren't, but just imagine that you are. And you are prepped for a relaxing, soothing, restful, peaceful day at the spa. Massage, hot tub, bath, steam room, facial manicure. I mean, this is going to be sunshine and rainbows. But imagine you show up to the spa for spa day, and it's actually basic training for the army. Drill surgeon immediately gets in your face. You got to do pull-ups, push-ups, run a mile, do an obstacle course, climb a wall, carry a log on your back. Now, it probably would have been helpful for you getting through all those difficulties if you would have known that you were going to go through all those difficulties. Yet, just the opposite. You thought it was spa day. You thought you were going to get a mud facial, and instead you had to swim through mud in the obstacle course. Well, this is the kind of experience that Jesus wants to help his disciples avoid. He doesn't want them to be caught off guard. Yes, he loves us. Yes, we are to love one another. But despite all of the love, the Christian life is not a cakewalk. And the apostles Peter and John learned this lesson. Those two, of course, were in the upper room hearing Jesus speak the farewell discourse. And they, as apostles, taught this same truth to their disciples and the churches that they helped plant. So the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter says, we shouldn't be surprised when in life we have to walk through a fiery trial. He says those types of experiences are not strange. They're not uncommon. And he says that they are tests. Those trials are tests designed to prove the genuineness of your faith or not. Peter says that a part of our ability to pass the test, a part of our ability to endure fiery trials is to not be surprised by them. That's the same thing Jesus is saying here. Do not be surprised at your opposition. Another example is 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle John writes, 
Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, this is exactly what Jesus is saying here in John 15 and 16. Peter talked about fiery trials in general, but Jesus in John 15 and 16 and John in 1 John 3, they talk about a specific kind of fiery trial, the hatred of the world for Jesus and for Jesus' followers. Yes, in Christ, God is for you. Yes, in Christ, the Spirit is with you. But don't be surprised if the world hates you. Again, knowing our opposition, being prepared for opposition, will help us to endure our opposition and to continue to follow Christ. So let's look more closely at these verses. What can we learn about our opposition? And what can we learn about our help to overcome our opposition? So first thing Jesus relates here, the haters persecute Jesus and they will persecute you. They persecute Jesus, they persecute you. Look once more at verses 18 through 25. Starting in verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. So you can see how this line of thought works, right? Jesus lived a life that drew upon him the opposition of the world. So as we live lives that follow the way of Jesus, we will do the same. We will draw that same opposition. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Now we have to ask ourselves, as responsible Bible readers, what does Jesus mean by the world has hated me? Like how has the world hated Jesus? And why would the world hated Jesus? How has the world hated Jesus? Well, the rejection of Jesus has been a theme of John's gospel going all the way back to the start of John's gospel. So in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, John is introducing the arrival of Christ into the world. And he says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, Jesus, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus, the light, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So John describes Jesus as a light that has come into the world, and even though he made the world, the world did not know him. And then he says that the world did not receive him. So that's who the world is. The world relates to those who don't know Jesus and who have not received Jesus. Then listen to what he says a couple of chapters later in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. And we don't know if it's Jesus who said this or John. It's hard to discern, but it really doesn't matter. Either Jesus or John said this. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. Now, this is kind of a crude illustration to help us understand what John is saying here in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. It's kind of a crude illustration, but it's the best I could come up with. So, I am from the deep south, where it is hot, and it is humid, and there are roaches. 
And my grandparents had an old beach cabin near the Florida coast. And every time we would go down there for a weekend or whatever, we'd enter the house and start turning on the lights. Very often start turning on the lights for the first time in weeks. And what do you think we saw? Roaches. But the roaches didn't just sit there, right? No, when you hit the lights, they scatter. They hate the light. And it's not because the light like inherently hurts them, right? Like a vampire whose skin starts to burn when the light hits them. No, they hate the light because the light exposes them. The light gives them away. So in that sense, they hate the light. And that is exactly what John is saying in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. The unbelieving world hates Jesus. They hate the light because he exposes their evil works. The beauty and glory and righteousness of Jesus' life and teaching, it shines light exposing the world's wickedness. Now, when we shined light on those beach cabin roaches, as I said, they scattered. They ran in fear of the oncoming raid can that I loved to shower upon them. They ran in fear from the light. And some people do that with God. The light of God's truth comes into their life and they hate it, so they run from Him. That's certainly part of my story. I was 19 years old, right out of high school, and I heard the gospel for the first time and I hightailed it away from that town and away from those people who were sharing the gospel with me. Some people hate the light and some run from the light. Some people hate the light by running from it. Others hate the light by attacking it. And that's what happened in Jesus' life. The world sought to extinguish his light and silence his truth by nailing him to the cross. And Jesus is saying in John chapter 15, if they hate you like that, they hated me first. He's saying, I was nailed to a cross. I was wrongly accused. I was maligned and berated and beaten and tortured before you were. Don't be surprised. Know your opposition. Verse 19, Jesus continues. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus says, if you were on team world, the world would love you. If you affirmed what the world did, if you celebrated their sin, if you cozy up to unbelief, then they will love you. But he says, you, my disciples, are not on team world. You are on team Jesus. And amazingly, the only reason that we're not on team world is because he chose us out of the world. So this is a humbling statement. This means that all of us who are on Team Jesus, the only reason we're on Team Jesus is because He chose us out of the world. So this means that all of us who are on Team Jesus, at one point, were on Team World. Anybody testify? Anybody else been a part of the world, been of the world, used to be on Team World? But then graciously, Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. So church, we used to belong to the world. We used to believe and do the same stuff they do. We're no better than them. We cannot stand in judgment of them. All we can do is stand in amazement 
at the grace of Jesus who chose us out of the world and into his love. However, now that we're out of the world and into his love, the world no longer loves us like it used to. Quote, the world hates you. End quote. He continues in verse 20. If the world hates you, it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you, but you are not of the world, so they hate you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So again, he's reiterating much of what he said before. We who are living the Christian life and in Christ's life, which we are imitating, he was crucified by the world. So what do you think is going to happen to us? A servant is not greater than his master. We think we're better than Jesus? As if, well, you know, Jesus wasn't able to navigate the world without persecution, but I can make it. I'm wiser than him. I'm more humble than him. Come on. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Christ, they will persecute us also. Don't be surprised. So church, we must ask ourselves, What's our relationship with the world? When we are with unbelievers or when we are in an unbelieving system of whatever sort, job, government, family, what are our relationships like? Do we fit right in? Do we play right along with the unbelieving ways of the world? When the world is crossing boundaries that God says not to cross, do we just say, yeah, I'll I'll go for it too? Or are we salt and light? That is, do we stand out? Do we speak up? Do we shine the light of God's truth and love? What is your relationship to the world? I want you to know that if you're here and you've been going along with the world, you've been living like they live, you've been denying God's direction for your life, if that's you, then I want you to know That in the heart of Jesus, there is grace for you. Yes, the world hates Jesus, but as we sang and as John 3.16 says, yes, the world hates Jesus, but God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for it. And he chose us out of the world. And maybe now he's calling you. Leave the world. Leave the world behind. Yes, it's going to change some relationships you have. Yes, they're going to think differently about you. But follow me. Maybe he's calling you to leave the world behind and follow him. But if you do follow him, if you do receive this gospel call, don't be surprised. The haters persecuted Jesus and they will persecute you. Now, I need to make a point here based on our current political and cultural situation. There are some professing Christians and even some so-called pastors who take this truth from John 15 that the world hates Jesus and hates Jesus' followers. They take that truth from John 15 and they use it as an excuse to berate the world, to mock the world, to ridicule them in the name of speaking the truth, they angrily, hatefully speak about non-Christians. It may get them a lot of YouTube views. It may get them a lot of Facebook likes. It may get them a 
radio program or a book deal, but that is not the point of this passage. Yes, the world hates Jesus. Yes, the world hates followers of Jesus. Yes, we are to speak the truth, but we are still called to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 5. We are still called to, by all means, live peaceably with all people, Romans chapter 12. Just because John 15, the world hates Jesus and hates Jesus' followers, that doesn't give us license to hate the world back. It means that we're ready, we're prepared for the world to hate us, but it doesn't mean that we hate them back. We don't disrespect them, we aren't to fume in anger at them. Apart from the grace of God, we would be just like them. So church, let's view non-believers through the eyes of Christ. Yes, let's approach them with courage. Yes, let's approach them with boldness. But let's also approach them with love and humility, knowing that apart from grace, we are no better. Furthermore, many of these loud, angry-at-the-world Christians are also very traditional people. Very conservative people. Very religious people. But the irony is that it was those kinds of people in the Gospels who hated Jesus the most. The Pharisees were Bible-believing. The Jews were morally conservative. And that is who hated Jesus the most. That is who had Jesus crucified. And it was the sinners the outcasts, the lowlifes, who were so drawn to Jesus. We are in a conservative area. We are in a traditionally-minded area in Lapeer County, so we need to really look at ourselves in the mirror. And we need to really humble ourselves before the cross before we start throwing stones at the world. Yes, they are going to throw stones at us, Yes, we need to be ready. That's Jesus' point here. The Christian life is not a cakewalk. There is opposition. Don't be surprised, but also don't be a jerk. Yes, the world hates us, but that doesn't mean that we give them more excuses to hate us. We are to give them every excuse to love us. I'm telling you guys, beware of some of these pastors who hold political rallies in the name of Jesus and fume hate at the world. It has poisoned way too many of a soul. Let's humble ourselves before the cross. Let's humble ourselves before one another. Let's listen and love. It's the greatest of the fruits of the Spirit. However, Jesus not only tells us about our opposition, he not only tells us about our haters, he also shares about our help, the helper who promotes Jesus and helps us. So let's sit this. Skipping ahead a bit to verses 26 through 27, Jesus says, when the helper comes, the one whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the one who proceeds from the Father, the Holy Spirit, He will bear witness about me. And you also, my disciples, will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. So the world hates Jesus. 
And they hate the message of Jesus. And they hate the messengers of the message of Jesus. And again, the reason for their hate is because our message shines light on the truth of our sin, on the truth of our unrighteousness, on the truth of our selfishness. The world doesn't like that light. They don't like that message, the message that we are called to share. But Jesus encourages us. He says we're not on our own. And we don't speak under our own power. The helper will come. The Spirit of truth will come. The Spirit of God will come to bear witness to the Son of God. The Spirit of God promotes the Son of God, and He does so through us. You also, verse 27, you also, my disciples, will bear witness about me. Many of us know that one of the most isolating experiences we can go through is public speaking. If you look at any list of people's top fears, it's ridiculous. It's like death, heights, sharks, drowning, public speaking. And it's like, okay, one of these things doesn't belong. But public speaking does do that to you. It's very isolating. It's just me up here on this elevated stage all by myself. It sort of freaks me out when I start to think about it, and even though it's my job, I have my little podium here to protect me and hide me from all you guys because it's scary, it's isolating. And speaking the truth of Jesus and sharing about Jesus, especially in the face of opposition, it can create those same kinds of fears, and Jesus knew that. And so what he instructs us here is that you are not alone. The helper, the spirit of truth, the one who comes from the Father, he is with you. And he is in you. And through you, he bears witness about me. You are not alone, brother. Be strong, sister. Use your voice to speak of Jesus. Jesus shared the same truth elsewhere in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. He was getting the disciples ready for their mission trip. They were going to go out two by two, proclaim the kingdom of God across Galilee. He's getting ready for this trip, getting them ready. And he says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's how he describes us going out on mission. We are sheep in the midst of wolves. In other words, we have opposition. Wolves eat sheep. They kill them violently and viciously. And that is us on our mission, going out amongst wolves as sheep. So he says, very interestingly, he says to us, be wise as serpents. Now, this is crazy to me. Jesus tells us to be serpents. Like, I thought serpents were the bad guys, right? No, Jesus says, as you go out on mission, as you go out to bear the truth of the gospel, you be wise as a serpent. You be shrewd. You be tactful. Have strategy. Think well about how you can speak in a way that's compelling and puts down people's arguments and disarms them. Be wise as a serpent. And... Be gentle as a dove. Be innocent as a dove. Be humble 
Be loving, be gracious, even as you engage with the wolves who would kill you. Verse 17, he goes on. He says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts. They will flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings. And this is the reason why. To bear witness before them all and the Gentiles. They will deliver you over, but do not be anxious. Do not be afraid when your time has come. Do not be anxious how you are to speak. Do not be anxious for what you are to say. For what you are to say at that hour of opposition, it'll be given to you. It is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brothers and sisters, we are called to an oftentimes to speak an oftentimes difficult message, and we are called to speak to an oftentimes hostile audience. But if they oppose us, remember these words, they opposed Jesus first. We are not above our master. He suffered for the truth he spoke, shining light on sin and hypocrisy and injustice. And we too, if we are faithful, we will suffer with him. Don't be surprised. The Christian life is not a relaxing day at a water park like, or the spa. I'm a spa guy. I love going to the spa. Like on vacation, that's what I'm doing. I'm chilling around the pool And then if Meg will let me and we have enough money, I'm going to the spa. I love it. And I love a lazy river at a water park. Get my drink, get my little inner tube, sit down, put on my shades, just take it easy. Zero effort. So awesome. But that is not the Christian life. That is not discipleship to Christ. Just going with the flow. No. We are going upstream. We are fighting against the current. There will be times when we have to say and do things that the world doesn't like. Indeed, they will hate. But, Jesus says, you are not alone. Jesus has gone before us And his Holy Spirit now speaks through us. Follow him. Remain steadfast. With all the courage and humility we can muster. Speak the truth of Jesus. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.